You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tillit NYC, hospitality uniforms for work and life. Look better, feel better, cook better. Visit us at tillitnyc.com. That's T-I-L-I-T-N-Y-C.com. It's January 9th at 7.27 p.m. and we just logged in to Community Board 3 Brooklyn. Um, Alex and I are home with the kids building Legos, listening along. So if you hear background noise, that's where it is. And And we're waiting for Eric's turn about his liquor license. Welcome back to The Build, our newest season of Opening Soon. We're your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. Last time you heard from Eric, he had finally signed his lease, but not without some drama. We got a lot to discuss today. We got investors, loans, licenses, permits, budgets, sales, payroll, debt, equity. We're talking all things money. Money. For all the taboos around it in America, so often not discussed between entrepreneurs, friends, even family, so much of our day-to-day revolves around it, especially when you're building your dream restaurant and you're on a shoestring budget. From bringing in capital to getting the process started for loans and keeping the momentum going to spending a lot of money, how a brick and mortar can make some of that cash back, today we're going to get into the nickel and dimes of Eric's process with some reflections about our own money story from goods, of course. And when I say money story, I mean money going down a pit, (laughs) literally. You heard from us last time about defining a good acronym in the restaurant process. We talked about the SLA. So just for a reminder, the SLA is the state liquor authority, and they have a lot of power over the New York City restaurant scene and whether or not you can serve booze. And by that token, also a lot of nerves for restaurateurs, chefs, and entrepreneurs here. Now you'll get a peek behind the curtain into a big step of the liquor license journey, the dreaded community board meeting. Thank you. Next up is Michael Kelly. He's the legal representative for the Awkward Scone LLC, doing business as Ursula. He's coming before us for a letter of support to accompany their SLA application for an alcoholic beverage control license. Mr. Kelly. Yes. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm the owner. Uh, Michael's not, my lawyer's not here tonight. So I'm representing myself. Uh, My name's Eric. I currently live in Crown Heights, but I was a bedside resident for many, many years. And we are looking for an OP liquor license application for the Awkward Scone LLC DBA Ursula. We're a full service restaurant that'll be located at 387A Nostrand Avenue. It was formerly occupied by Madame Creperie. I've been a self-employed chef for over seven years, but in the industry for about 25 I'm the owner and operator of Ursula, which currently stands at 724 Sterling Place in Crown Heights. The current location of Ursula has been open since 2020. We've been a pillar of community support. We host community-led pop-ups, fundraisers, and food distribution for the food insecure. We've worked closely with the Ali Forney Center to help raise over $100,000 to provide resources for LGBTQ plus homeless youth in New York City. We've worked with emerging chefs to build out their own concepts and cooked meals and groceries for local mutual aid organizations. 
We've been recognized as a leader in the hospitality industry for enacting positive change and community advocacy. Our entire staff currently lives in Brooklyn. Many of them are in proximity to 387 Nostrand. The remaining six employees will be hired from the immediate area. My question is, um, what made you choose uh, this particular part of the neighborhood and Bedstown? Um, so a little background on my, on Ursula itself, it was opened at the beginning of the pandemic. I had a, a cafe in Bushwick that closed because of the pandemic. And I opened this hopefully to create some jobs for my previous uh, employees and myself. And so it was kind of a testament to see if this particular cuisine was going to have a place in the market here. Uh, and so it was a trial. I took on a sublet, uh, of the space that we're in currently. And that sublet is uh, now over. And so I've been looking for a space that's in proximity to our current client base, our current community that we've already been engaged with for the last two and a half years and my staff. So I've spent the last year looking for a space that is going to fit all of those needs. Um, looks like we have a question from the public. Lanny Holiday. Uh, I just wanted to say um, I've worked with Eric known him professionally for over five years. Uh, he has consistently used his resources as a business owner to contribute to the health and prosperity of and the culture of the neighborhood uh, beyond creating jobs for local residents and creating delicious, accessibly priced food. Mr. C has a commitment to working uh, with uh, local black and, black and brown artists and, cre and creatives collaborating with groups like The Soapbox Presents, a black woman-led arts organization that puts on family-friendly live performances, educated little monsters. He's raised money for them. Uh, they do uh, arts-focused programming for kids. So his previous restaurant was a catering kitchen, uh, which was part of the reason it shut down during COVID. Uh, and, and when the pandemic hit, you know, he immediately turned it into a food pantry. We packed groceries every single day together. You know, his vision is to just continue to add value and community-focused programming for the neighborhood. Uh, he does a lot of work in the fundraising space on a on a grassroots level, and um, I just think it will be a wonderful addition to the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you for that. We're over here with our fingers crossed for community board and SLA board approval. We'll keep you posted about the outcome, of course. So we recently recapped our experience with our own build timeline for goods, the restaurant that we had started back in 2010, and we touched on some time that we spent that we definitely didn't have. So listen in. Do you remember what condition the trailer was in when it showed up here? It was pretty rough. Um, the exterior was rusty and, you know, not well kept. One of the most challenging parts of it was this idea that it had to go through as a mobile food truck. Um, so it was actually a stationary truck on a property. Um, so it was going to function as, you know, sort of a regular restaurant that had this obviously very unique um, shape to it, being in this old Spartan trailer uh, from the 1950s. And we had gutted that, outfitted it with beautiful stainless steel walls, floors, ceilings, venting, you know, we had ovens, we had stovetops, we had candy burners, sinks, all these things that, you know, seemed should have made it right through. But then once you go through and you're dealing with the intricacies of, you know, 
any um, permitting process. You know, this one specifically is the mobile food truck department in New York City was was more than challenging. I think we ended up going through that permitting process three different times that, that found its way to have errors each time. So it was difficult. I remember that being very nerve wracking, being like waiting to hear from Jeremy, did the trailer make it to the actual health department? Did it actually pass? Because the idea was that it was a stationary trailer and the only time that we had anticipated having to move it was to go to the health department and then back to park it onto the lot where it would be its permanent home, which funny enough today, even though we closed the restaurant in 2010, it's still, it's the trailer's still there permanently on that spot today. And it's another restaurant. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) It's in there now. Um, I think that's part of the problem too, was that there was so much happening. And I think that this happens probably to a lot of entrepreneurs or restaurateurs is that you're so deep in doing that you weren't, we weren't able to step outside and say, this is wrong let's stop. Like, this is not what we wanted to do. This is not what we intended to do. We don't have a plan for how this is going to make money. We don't have a plan for, you know, how this is going to expand or grow or who we're going to be in three years operating this business. It was just, it was, we were so into the doing that we weren't able to step outside and say, this will work or this won't work or this is what we should be doing or this is how we should be spending our money or our time. And it really just sort of snowballed. What about how we finance goods? Do you remember, Al? I do. I think I do. We we basically used our own money. So, you know, uh, you remember your brother and, and his partner put in um, a big chunk of money and then we put in what we had, which was everything we had. Um, and for, you know, somebody in business school, and, you know, a career chef that was not that much. But we, we cleared out our own bank accounts and, and basically put it in all cash so we didn't have to raise um, and we didn't have to take loans. I think we probably had the, spa- the lease on the space for nearly a year before we opened. Now, the lease on the space was very inexpensive. Our partner basically made an arrangement with the super of the next door building take a hose from their basement into our yard. And that hose cost us $1,000 a month for water. Which is crazy. <laughs> because most in New York City, most most of the time you have water included in your lease. It's just part of your rent. So there was no water included in the lease because there was no water line. And so we made a backhanded arrangement with the neighbor, which did not serve us well. Served to them well, thousand bucks a month, woo, for some water. Well, he didn't get a very long run on this <laughs> That's deal. true. So maybe it didn't serve him very well. Um, but I think that again, you know, we were deep in, you know, creation of trying to get this business started that we were still at the time excited about. And so each one of those things that came through, you know, sort of seemed like we had, you know solved a problem, right? The alternative was that we would have to pull the trailer off the lot and have it filled up with water at a service station or something. So when we had the opportunity to run a hose from the neighboring building, $1,000 seemed like a great deal because it was much easier than having to put this trailer back on the truck and cart it off somewhere. So, and, and each one of those things was, you know, an isolated incident. 
at the time when you're busy building and you're busy thinking about what this business could become. Um, but then when you pull them all together on a balance sheet, which we didn't do, you would probably see quickly that this wasn't going to add up to success. Alex, do you remember the first time we went to go see the space on Nostrand? Yeah, I think it was um, shortly after Eric had signed the lease. I think he had a little get get together of um, his friends and supporters to come and have a drink and check it out. Yeah, and then just shortly thereafter, I think the 1st of February, we went to really dive in in the daylight and see the space and walk it with Eric and see all the work that he had to do. So let's hop into that conversation. We're at the front door, and the scene before us is definitely different than last time we were here. When there was a little, there's there's some things. It's not an empty space anymore. So we're walking in. It's, this is probably like a thousand square feet yeah. that we're looking at. Um, and as you walk in the door, there is a table to the left that's got a giant whiteboard uh, with lots of notes and I imagine all of the things that are going to happen in the next six weeks. Um, it's also, the table is decorated with uh, different color swatches, I imagine for the tables, for the paint on the walls. Um, you can see a bar that's about to be built out that's sort of framed at the moment. The walls are starting to get painted. Um, there's even some dry chilies hanging on the side of the wall to give us some idea of what's to come. Um, and then Lonnie and Eric are here, and they're going to walk us through the space as it is now. Intil it, of course. Thank you. On Rock brand. Until it, on, on brand. brand. Um, we got a lot to do. I mean, I think the whiteboard is the perfect place to start for it. I, um, the whiteboard is probably like three feet by four feet. We stood here last night for 20 minutes, kind of going over the different categories and then putting together like priority to-do lists so we could kind of go our respective ways. I mostly work out of here. He's obviously at Ursula 1.0 from Wednesday through Saturday, Sunday. Um, so, you know, we work together and we're apart. We're in constant contact by phone, email, etc. We share a Google Calendar. But, you know, yeah, he's, his brother's been in here. The place is full of wood dust. Eric has been sanding these tables somewhat uh, here and there. Uh, more of a stress relief. Cue snarky activity. look from Eric. Uh, you know, it's ad hoc. It's ad hoc. And it's like a stress relief activity, it feels. We've both got... We're learning how each other works. We've collaborated a lot together, but we've never really spent like eight hours a day, seven days a week working like together like that. And so really understanding each other's rhythms is coming together. You gotta throw a snack to the monster. He's like, you are the loudest person on the face of the fucking planet when you are on the phone, but okay. He actually sent me a to-do to add to the list about getting some samples for Kyle today. You know, you can see, you can see uh, on the wall you've got some, what are those called? Uh, a faux Viga. Vigas. So in New Mexico, you want to... They're, wo- they're wooden beams that are support structures in homes, old adobe homes. Uh, but we're going to recreate a faux, very lightweight version of it because we can't uh, really screw into the ceiling. We're allowed to make a small hole into the ceiling and glue things to the ceiling, but the hole also has to be filled with putty uh, to not mess with the sound absorption in the ceiling, because our landlord works above us, 
and he has a sound mixing studio. Uh, so we're allowed to either do that or fix it to the side of the wall and let it float, but it can't contact both the side wall and the ceiling. So they, yeah, we can't connect them. Why? Because it, it picks up the vibrations. He spent probably like a quarter million dollars on the studio. God knows how much he spent on sound insulation. He's very... Um, he actually, he's a professor at Pratt teaching no. like sound design. Yeah, so he's very particular. The decibel maximums are written to the lease. He lets us know which days he's working. So Michael, the woodworker, his brother, can or cannot be here at certain days, times... It's a challenge, he's growing on me, but um, you know, it's it's just, these are the things that you face when you work in a place like New York City. It's like you have a cast of characters, you've gotta, you know, sort of wiggle and dance with the realities of personalities and... What's the process, just a general like construction permit? Work well, permit? we're waiting for the general, con- the general contracting permit. Uh, <clears throat> and then we can do the permits for plumbing and electric. Although technically we don't need either of those permits. We had an asbestos inspection last week. That was, uh, I need to get in that game. Which that was 500 bucks, they were not even here for 10 there minutes. There are so many rackets in the city. This place was rebuilt, so they there was no asbestos in this building because it was completely renovated. Uh, and then they had to have their inspection. The previous people had to have their inspection here. And then you, I have to pay for it again. It's like, there's no way that it's not back. <laughs> like, it was they don't even sell asbestos yeah, know, anymore, folks. even put it in here. <laughs> like, uh, and they were like, so you're not doing anything to the floor or the toilet? And we were like, no. And they were like, okay. And I had to pay $500 for that. Has the designer been in here and doing the designer things or what's happening there? No, he's a little busy. So we've been making some calls ourselves on certain things. And I mean, I've been sending him, like I sent him pictures of the stains and some of the colors and he was like, oh, I like that one. Uh, we were holding off on him to make some furniture selections, but it was taking too long. I was like, I have to just order stuff now. So we were doing that. Um, he did find some cool chairs that we're hopefully ordering from Morocco for the bar stools. Um, well, we've ordered them. We're hoping they don't get stuck in customs for... Well, they and that they ship in time. Now that you guys are here and in the space and thinking through some of these problems, what, what else is keeping you up at night now? Always money. Always money. <laughs> <laughs> Always money. Uh, just making sure there, there's enough of it. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Uh, normally that break is for me running to the bathroom, but instead we're going to tell you about Tillit NYC, which is our uniform company, our baby... We started Tillit about 10 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. And since then, we've outfitted hundreds of thousands of chefs across the country and work with over 6,000 restaurants. Alex, do you want to tell our listeners why we started Tillit? Sure. So basically, we started it out of need and out of something that uh, I felt like was necessary in the industry. I had been a chef for uh, nearly 20 years and was essentially tired of wearing the clothes that were provided. I didn't feel good in them. I didn't feel proud of who I was in my career um, and felt like better options that were more functional, that were better designed, that were more contemporary, uh, were very necessary in this industry. I can't believe I went out with you wearing those old 
baggy chef pants and chef coat when we first met 20 years ago. Yeah, but look at us now. now look at us now. We're nice and now fitted well in awesome uniforms. And, and we make everything from uh, work pants, work jackets, aprons, chef coats, shirts, the whole nine, right? So if you're interested in getting some fresh gear for yourself or for your team, give us a visit at tillitnyc.com. That's T-I-L-I-T-N-Y-C.com. Today is Tuesday, February 7th. It's the new year now, 2023. And um, what's happening in the world? The, there has been a huge, devastating earthquake in Turkey um, that is uh, encompassing the news, well-deserved and unfortunate for uh, whoever's going through that and, and dealing with loved ones that are over there. Um, here in New York, we are in our false spring. We get a couple of warm afternoons. It's the first... No, for semblance of, of seasonality. And um, we are catching up uh, after several uh, in-person visits. We're back uh, remote catching up with Eric on where we're at with the build. Let's fill us in. I'm hiding behind the, the line of the kitchen, staring through a, a, a mesh wiring shelf system, um, staring at... Uh, Bonnie making faces at me and walking around the store with Palo Santo trying to cleanse it of my bad energy. <laughs> Very important. Burn that sage. Burn that Palo Santo. But she keeps like having to uh, like spin the smoke around her head, so I actually think she's doing something for herself. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We need all the good energy we can get. It, it's true. I mean, we... So yesterday we met with um, Clover, the... Hold on. Deep construction noises you're hearing. Is it the construction's on, what's happening on the street? I don't even know. They're like drilling. They're drilling into the street. I, oh, it's not your I construction. Rushed. No, no, no. We're not oh, doing shit. anything yet. I'm still waiting on permits. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I'm sure your landlord's so happy today. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what I told Lonnie. It's like I hope it's not one of his recording days, or maybe I do, because he's going crazy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yesterday we met with a rep from Clover. I think that's the direction that we're going to go with the like payment processing. They're owned by the same people as Bento Box, so they have a lot of really good integrations. And me and Lonnie were ready to just like bang our heads against the wall trying to uh, figure out how we're going to configure the weekend service here. It's it's I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, but we did that uh, today, tonight. I have to go turn in my fingerprints for the liquor license. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody wants to get fingerprinted, but this is a good thing to get fingerprinted for, I guess. Yeah, fingerprints tonight. Uh, now I can't really hide from the law anymore. Yeah. But um, that's one of the big steps. I got a letter acknowledging receipt of application and payment from the SLA last week. Uh, and then the notification to go get fingerprinted. Does your liquor attorney have any like inkling of what that means for timeline? I'm going to follow up with him today. I think that after the fingerprint process, I think that's the last of like the application points of it. So I think that technically I should be granted a temporary beer and wine license immediately. Uh, their letter to me said that they're on like a 24 week uh, review period Oof. for full liquor 
But I don't know if that changes depending on what kind of pre-existing licenses you had here. Is the fingerprinting like a signal that you are going to be approved, or is, does everyone get that? That I don't know. I mean, I thought that the moment they cashed my check was a signal that uh, <laughs> I was getting approved. But um, I don't know if that's non-refundable. I don't remember reading the fine print. But that's it. That's where we're at. I'm still waiting on the permit stuff. My architect was like, oh, yeah, I can get it done. And like we could get the permits turned around in a couple of days. Uh, but this process is taking a lot longer, and it's not even the DOB yet. So what does that push your that timeline to start construction? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get an answer from the architect today. Furniture was ordered. It's coming from a few different places, uh, so that should be arriving in the next few weeks. I ordered glassware last week. We're still waiting to find out about dishes. Uh, and then equipment will be next. And then we got to figure out some of the design stuff. I ordered some tile samples for the front of the counter because the the front of the counter is going to be tiled. Um, I want to go back to the liquor license really fast. So, if it's twenty four weeks from now, so that's like almost five and, five and a half months. Yeah, it's looking at July and August. Don't you don't have to put that into my. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I wanted to. You know, what are you thinking? In the interim, so it's for the temporary license. Does that go until you get the full license, or is that something you have to renew every thirty days? Every ninety days, I believe. Every so you get you pay for a temporary that's three months, and then you renew month by month until your other application is approved or denied. And then you apply month by month. You know, obviously the booze is a big part of the business plan and all of those kind of things. So what's the thought there? Are you going to work on like a phased menu with John DeBerry or? Yeah, I actually just met with him on Friday too, just to talk about some of those timelines. Cause he's like, well, if it doesn't, if you don't get the liquor license in the next month, like do you, how should we be thinking about the seasonality of these drinks? So I told him, I was like, I feel comfortable with you making a, a menu that makes sense for April to June. And then you'll change. And then we can, yeah, then we can work around it if we need to. Um, but if we get the temporary beer and wine, I'm fine with opening with that, knowing that the full liquor's on the other side of that. Uh, so ideally you get open for, we're still gunning towards the end of March. I'm optimistic for mid-March right now. Optimistic. I was hoping for early first week of March, but that's feeling a little further out of reach with these permit issues. And last time we talked, you said the thing keeping you up at night is, is money. And is that still the case? Yeah, money money will always keep me up at night <laughs> me until too. I win the lottery. <laughs> uh, I did apply for a grant uh, yesterday, which was a, a really funny application. Uh, it was it's being uh, put together by a collaboration or a partnership with DoorDash and... Um, the national LGBTQ plus like business society or administration. Um, so it's for queer owned businesses. Uh, and part of the application asks if you are LGBTQ plus identifying. And then when you 
click yes, it asks you to upload proof of of, of that. Interesting. And it was like, what did you upload? <laughs> Can you share? Well, on the I was like, um, I was like, what, they're gonna get more than they asked for. Oh. They, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of proof do you want? Like a video or what, what are you thinking? Uh, videos. Uh, I don't know. I could send them my the login to my grinder. Screenshot your grinder. What kind of proof are you now? looking for? Yeah. Oh, I'm uh, that dead. was such a weird. It was such a weird thing. Um, I mean, I guess that there's some due diligence in asking that. I've just never been asked to prove <laughs> that I'm gay. There's a first uh, for everything. So how, yeah. how does no, it make you feel I, if there's I, a check attached to it, though? I don't know. Fine, I'll prove it. I'll prove it all I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll prove it all day long if you give me a check. Uh, they... One, I think one of the options you could, if there was any like media pieces mm-hmm. that uh, affirmed that you're part of the community, which there are plenty of them online. So uh, I just I attached one of those. <laughs> I was like, if that's not proof enough for you, then I'm happy to keep digging for you. There's this website called Hello Alice. Alice? Hello Alice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I can't speak. Uh, but it's a, like a business resource website, and they always post different grants. Um, and so I'm always on there looking for any of them that I might qualify for and apply for all of them. Uh, it's been a while since I've gotten one, but early on in uh, Ursula 1.0, I'd gotten a couple of $10,000 grants from there. Mm-hmm. So I look on there to try to get free money all the time. you feeling like with the funds that are left in the account right now and everything that's gone out so far and you know what other big expenses do you have on the horizon i'm feeling pretty okay because a lot of our big expenses are are like halfway i've had to pay half of my fee for the architect that's one of the big ones it's like twelve thousand dollars and i've already paid out six on that the liquor license i was almost six thousand dollars plus my legal fees for that were I think I've paid out 2500 for that and I'll owe another 2000 um, the lease was a lot cheaper than I was expecting I was Drew did an incredible job and the amount of back and forth that we had I was expecting a, an incredibly high bill because Drew is not cheap but, we know that uh, <laughs> uh, but he, he does good work and my bill was a third of what I was expecting. So that was nice. I think I spent $4,000 on the lease at the Awkward Scone. Um, and that lawyer at that time was like $400 an hour, and I think Drew's $550. But my bill was like $2,500 for this lease. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Drew. What's on uh, What's on tap for... Uh, equipment. Sorry. Equipment uh, was one of the other big things, but... Some of our, my plans or thoughts about the layout and the equipment that would be necessary were a little, had been dispelled or rerouted. I think we talked about it in the last one when, that Lonnie had went over to meet with Nico from Oxalis and PDF and go through his kitchen because uh, one of his kitchens electric. And he was like, yeah, no, we spent a lot of money in the beginning and none of that stuff really worked out. and here's my workhorses and I was like well it's not going to be this like 
fancy kitchen of my dreams, but it's like $20,000 cheaper. So let's, let's go the Nico route. And that makes it the kitchen of your dreams. There you go. You just saved yourself 20 grand. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Coming up next on The Build. I love the freedom I have to be how I am and dress how I want to dress and, um, you know, schmooze how I want to schmooze and, you know, all of these things. Like, I kind of feel like if you work in front of house, there's this, like, expectation to sort of, you know, be charming. So it's nice to be able to, like, employ my own know tactics to do what I you know to to be a good like a hospitable person like to others you know the build is produced by Armin Spengen Taylor Early Matt Patterson Jenny Goodman and me Alex McCreary and a special thanks to Eric C and Lonnie Holiday for all of their willingness and time to share with us on this journey A very special thank you to the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for their support of Taylor's work as the Julia Child Writing Fellow. Our audio engineer for this episode is H. Conley. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Opening Soon is a production of Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. That was a good one, too. I forgot. Like, he was like, do I have to show them my grinder account? <laughs> okay. Um, no grinder accounts were compromised in the making of this podcast. Hi, HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers. And we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.